Amen. Hey, we are once again on our exciting study, World Religions, Cults, and the Occult. And we are in chapter three. Give it up for Barry. Where are you at, buddy? I'm sure you're the one that prayed this into existence, right? Yeah, give it a spiritual warfare. I tell you what, it's rough. We made it to chapter three. Woo! And we're on that topic of Islam. And I'm so sorry to bore you guys because this has no relevance for today. Who's ever talked? Yeah, we're just getting started tonight. All right, let's take a look there at lesson three, page one there on uh, chapter three, the history of Islam. And uh, if we make it that far, we might make it to, that's about it, the history of Islam and dealing with some of that aspect there. But listen, let's take a look. Islam means submission. That's your first blank there. Islam means submission. Okay, it's the whole point. Submission to Allah. That's what it's all about. And a follower of Islam is called a Muslim. A Muslim, of course, is one who is submitted, okay, or a submitted one. It's all about doing what Allah says. You better do what he says as much as he says. And then even then, you're not even sure if you're ever going to get to heaven. We'll get to that in a little bit. But basically, the whole mentality is to submit, 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 okay, to what Allah has to say. Now, I want to give you a couple more definitions. You just got two. That's what Islam means. That's what a Muslim means, okay? Let me give you a couple more because they're out there in the news, okay? Now, there's a word out there. A lot of people have this, uh, Ahmad. There's a lot of people named Ahmad. Ahmad, if you don't know, is another name for Muhammad, okay? It's a very popular name that's out there. Allah, of course, is the Arabic word for God, their version of God. Uh, the uh, caliph, if you've heard of that in the news, that is a Muslim ruler. Uh, the Dajjal, that's the Antichrist. Okay, a fatwa. How many guys heard of that? The, the fatwa? Okay, basically what that is is a legal verdict uh, given, legally verdict given uh, based on the Quran. You've heard about that in the news and things of the nature. Uh, the Hadith, and that's the sayings and the deeds of the prophet uh, Muhammad, recorded by his followers. Uh, the Hajar, now that's a black stone set into the corner of the Ka uh, Kaaba. Uh, you notice that nice little graphic there in your workbook, the big cube? Okay, uh, Kaaba, that's what it means. I believe in Arabic means the cube. But the, the, we're going to get into this in a little bit more detail. This black stone, okay, uh, is what is in the corner, I believe on the eastern side there. Okay, and we'll get to that in a little bit. And uh, the Hawajah, Okay, that's the sixth level of hell, which is the place for Christians. So you have a specific place just for Christians. But wait a second, I thought we all believed the same thing, and, and we can all just come together, and the phrase, we'll get to this maybe in a little bit, that's out there that's in the church starting to gain ground, if you can believe it or not, it's called Chrislam. Okay, and we'll get to that in a little bit, and probably in greater detail in another story, uh, what helped to popularize that was Rick Warren. We'll get that in a little bit, but Chrislam, okay, but it's that somehow Christianity and Islam can go together. Excuse me, just by one of your terms, you have a special place in hell for us. I got a problem with that. Okay, uh, the imam, when you hear about an, uh, uh, an imam, that's a political head of an is Islamic state. Uh, uh, Jana, that's their version of paradise or heaven. Uh, jihad, you know, the media wants to say, well, that's just some sort of a, uh, you know, fighting against one's own sinful self, and some might say that, but basically what it is is a physical fight, physical, uh, for the truth of Islam, not allowing anyone to steal their ability to worship, and of course it means, can mean a holy war. Now, they also have what's called a, a, a jinn, okay, a jinn, and that's where we get like a, a jinn or a genie, a genie in the bottle, a jinn, okay, uh, that's their version, not technically of an angel, because that's different, and we'll get to that later when we get into more theology of what they teach. That's a supernatural, invisible race of beings. They were made from fire, they believe, and are capable of looking like humans or animals, and they can dwell in rocks or trees, and may possess black dogs and black cats. Wonder where that superstition came from, the black cat thing. But that's a jinn. They also have what's called a jizya, okay? You might hear this in the news. Now, a jizya is a tax, and that is a tax that they force upon non-Muslims. And the whole point of the tax is to remind the non-Muslim of their inferior status, that they need to submit, that they are number one, Allah's number one, etc., over everybody else, and this is your penalty, right? Uh, but again, if you don't pay the tax, and whether we get to, I get to share that clip or not, uh, but basically, they're coming after you. And we'll get into this. Islam... What they teach is not what we're being told in the media. And I'm just going to, you're going you're gonna to hear it coming out of their mouths. I'm going to break my tradition typically on Wednesday nights. We did it on our creation studies. I'd share video clips. But by and large, we're just rolling through our material of scripture. Uh, and I got one tonight. Uh, but we're going to start getting into 
a lot of video clips. And a lot of the video clips are going to be from the president and from the cabinet and from all people around, the news anchors and things of that nature. Okay, and what they're saying. Now, most of us don't pick up on the importance of what just came out of their mouth because we're not equipped with what does Islam teach. So that's why I want to take this first several weeks to get us equipped with the terminology, the beliefs of Islam, and then when you see it coming out of their mouths, it's like, whoa, right? This is not me on some, you know, witch hunt. It's just like, now you know what they teach, and why are they saying that? It's a little concerning, okay? Uh, but that's what's going on. Of course, we have uh, the Kaaba, that's the cube-shaped building. We'll get to that in a little bit. The Quran, of course, literally means the recital, okay? The recital, and we'll get to that in a minute because that was... You know, Muhammad's supposed to memorize all this stuff. We'll get into that. And they recited it and uh, copied it. And that's what we got the Quran. Mecca, of course, is the holy city of Islam, the birthplace of Muhammad. A mosque is their version of a house of worship, like we would say a church facility or church sanctuary. Okay. A uh, little side note there. Did you know that uh, we don't go to church? We are the church. Right? You know, if somebody calls you, hey, Pastor Billy, the church burnt down. What would you, self-combust? What are you doing there? <laughs> the, the church is not a building, okay? It's a Christianese phrase we say, but it's, it's not true. It's ecclesia in the Greek. It means called out ones. The church is the people of God, you and I. Now, it, now this is the place we go to meet, but this is not the church. We are the church, okay? Uh, Nasara, uh, N-A-S-A-R-A, that's a word used in the Quran to de designate those who are Christians. Ramadan, and that was that, uh, that uh, jingle that the Muppets came up with that was really, uh, sticks in your head. Ramadan, do, 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 Ramadan, do, do, no, it's not, Chris, come on, you're funny, that's, uh, that's not what it is, no, Ramadan, of course, is uh, their ninth month on the Islamic calendar, a time of fasting, another study will go down deep on that, because you got people in high places practicing that, very interesting, of course, and then you got different uh, uh, factions, Islam is not united, okay, uh, Shiites, Sunnis, we'll get into that, uh, later as well. But anyway, so I want to give you some terminology uh, just so you get some basic understanding when we start using this. Islam means submission. A Muslim is one who is submitted. Okay, let's continue on. Muslims also believe in submitting to their one and only God named Allah. Islam was founded by Muhammad. Muslims believe Muhammad was the last prophet of God superseding Jesus. Wait a second. Who, who's number one? Jesus. So how in the world, once again, can we cooperate when you now have a different version of Jesus and you say that Muhammad's better than Jesus? Got a problem with that, right? Okay, superseding Jesus, the prophet who was before him. Muhammad was born around 570 AD, died 632, and he was a traitor from the city of Mecca, okay? Let me give you a little bit more background on him. He was, of course, in the 6th and 7th centuries in the Middle East, and he received revelations from God, okay? Born in Mecca in 570, which is now located in Saudi Arabia, okay? Uh, United States has a longstanding relationship with Saudi Arabia, and there's some interesting things going on over there. Uh, and our government seems to be ignoring, but maybe we'll get to that in another study. Muhammad was born to his mother, Amina, into the uh, Quraysh, the ruling tribe of Mecca at that time. Up to the age of eight, he was raised by his grandfather, Abdul, because Abdallah, his father, had died a few weeks before he was born. Amina, his mother, died when he was six. And then after the uh, death of his grandfather, uh, he was raised by his uncle, Abu. Okay, so he basically didn't really have his mom and dad around, and he was raised by his uncle, okay? And he assumed responsibility for raising Muhammad. Now, his uncle, Abu, was a businessman involved in trade, so it's likely that Muhammad went with him on business trips and encountered both Jews, okay, 280 miles to the north in Medina, and Christians also to the north, but also to the south in Nijran. Uh, his encounters with Jews and Christians are reflected in the Quran because he calls us, the Jews and the Christians, okay, he calls us by this phrase, and you'll see this even in the Quran, the people of the book, okay, the people of the book, that's what you and I, so when you hear that, the people of the book, he's referring to the Jews and Christians. Now, at 25, Muhammad was hired, remember he learned the trade from his uncle, he was hired uh, to manage the business of a wealthy widow named uh, Khadijah, she was 15 years older than he was, and so he goes to Syria, and he trades there successfully uh, for her, and apparently she was impressed because she ends up uh, proposing to him, and then in 595, they actually get married. They had two sons and four daughters, uh, Zainab, Rujaya, what a Fatima, Umm Kulthum, Muhammad, and Kakajah. Uh, they married 25 years until uh, Khadijah, the wife, died at the age of 65 during the month of Ramadan. Now, in, 16, in 620, Muhammad lost his uncle, Abu. He lost his wife, no, he lost his uncle, his parents are already gone, etc. Oh, by the way, his uncle never became a Muslim. 
okay? Uh, and a few months after Muhammad uh, sought comfort by marrying, marrying the widow of another believer, okay, after his wife had died, and, uh, but he also later married a, a girl named Aisha, okay? She was seven years old. Some reports say eight, okay? And according to Muslim historians, not me, them, okay, Muhammad had 12, 12 wives when he died, right? Now, there's a practice that's going on over there, and we'll probably get into this because I want you to get equipped on this, which adds to the absolutely insane behavior of our government not doing anything about it. And that's what's called sacralized uh, and sacral rape that's going on there. And that they believe that this is not just spoils of war, but this is going to help these ladies become Muslims and things of that nature. It really goes on. But when you understand the root, when you understand the polygamy, when you understand marrying somebody seven, eight years old by their founder, doesn't go far from the tree unfortunately, and we'll get into that in much greater detail. But again, you just take a look at that background, and yep, that's just like Christianity. That's what Jesus promotes. So how in the world, Mr. Warren, could you say that we can all get together and we worship the same God? We'll get to that, Lord willing, Lord willing in, in uh, greater detail. Now, let's continue on. So Mecca was the cultural and religious center of uh, Arabia. The area was, was ruled by tribes with numerous competing polytheistic religions. Now, keep this in mind, polytheistic Okay, poly means, of course, many, theistic, theos means God, so many gods, okay. Allah was one of the gods at the time. Later, of course, when Muhammad took over, and he became the chief one, okay. But polytheistic was the, the uh, religions in the area there. At the heart of Mecca was a shrine, and this is the picture that you see there in the workbook, was a shrine, uh, 60 feet cube containing, listen, hundreds of what? Idols. Inside that thing's idols. Now, one report we might get to, uh, in the area there, because and again, this was shrine quote was in existence even before Islam, so it was kind of taken over. Now, in the is what's reported uh, in the area that there was 360 idols, one for every year, okay, and uh, inside this cube, okay, and called the Kaaba, okay, uh, contained hundreds of idols, and it was known as the House of God or the House of Allah, right? So it's kind of a weird thing. You come in here with the idols in this cube, and then you worship it. But then I thought you were against idolatry. So, but anyway. Uh, Allah was recognized as the supreme deity, but was worshipped along with the other deities. Anybody promote that today? Yeah, one world religion movement, right? Hey, who cares? You know, they all lead there, whatever. You know, kind of a polytheistic mindset. The cube was believed to have been built by Abraham and his son Ishmael. Okay, notice not Isaac, where the Jewish people get their lineage. Okay. Uh, and on the same spot, they believe as the first shrine to God built by Adam. There's no biblical record of that, right? And, uh, and uh, if anything, if Adam really built this and he was in the Garden of Eden, is this where the Garden of Eden is supposed to be? Which, by the way, with all due respect, some people out there think that they know where Garden of Eden is. But uh, let me, let me get, just dispel the myth for you. Garden of Eden, where is it? Glub, 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 glub. It was destroyed in the flood. Have fun finding it. It's gone. It isn't here anymore. Okay, but anyway, that's kind of a little side note. But anyway, so that's what he teaches there. Now, let's take a look at this cube, this uh, Kaaba, and specifically, let's take a look at this thing that's mounted into the corner of it called the black stone. Okay, I'm going to give you a little picture of there, and if you guys, hopefully you guys can see it, work your way around that. I can't move this yet until the very end there, um, but that's called the black stone. All right, so let's take a look at this. The black stone, as you can see there, uh, is the eastern cornerstone of the Kaaba, the cube, okay, and uh, it's located in the center of the Grand Mosque in Mecca and Saudi Arabia, the, the whole cube, okay? It's revered by the Muslims, and it's an Islamic relic, which, according to Muslim tradition, again, they believe that it dates back to Adam and Eve. Now, the stone was venerated uh, at the Kaaba in pre-Islamic pagan times, okay? According to Islamic tradition, it was set intact uh, into Kaaba's wall, okay? So li literally, this, it's just about a yay big thing right here. Okay, and you got this silver thing going around it with a hole in the middle there. And inside of it is supposed to be some of these special rocks that's now whatever, and they cemented them together or whatever. But this is mounted into the corner of that giant cube. So that's what the black stone is. But there's significance to it, and that's why I want to explain this. Okay, what's going on there? Uh, since it's broken into a number of fragments inside there, you can't really see from that picture, but inside the hole there, if you look inside there, uh, and it's now uh, uh, cemented into a silver frame in the side of the the cube, the Kaaba. The physical appearance is that of a fragmented rock polished smooth by the hands of pilgrim. Islamic tradition holds that it fell from heaven, this black stone that's mounted into the cube, that it fell from heaven as a guide for Adam and Eve to build an altar. 
okay? Uh, although some say it's a meteorite and whatever, just whatever. Now, Muslims, uh, pilgrims circle the Kaaba, the, you know, the cube, and this is part of their ritual that they do. They circle this thing seven times, go around and around. This is part of their pilgrimage and stuff. I wonder why it's seven times. I wonder why they go around and around. Well, we'll get to that in just a little bit. Uh, it's part of a ritual that they call the Tawaf, T-A-W-A-F, okay? And many try to stop and kiss specifically, not just the cube, but the black stone, okay? And they actually teach if they're unable to kiss the stone, because if you see pictures over there, it's like, have fun trying to get there, right? The crowds, and they're just going around and around, right? But they teach that uh, if you're unable to kiss the stone, then they can point towards the stone uh, with their right hand each time that they go around, okay? Now, again, uh, it's an irregular oval shape. Let me give you that picture again, okay? There, it's an irregular oval shape. It's about seven inches in diameter with an undulated surface composed of about a seven, uh, uh, a, a dozen smaller stones, okay, uh, different shapes and sizes, uh, and they're all kind of cemented together. You can't really see it, but see inside there, there's a bunch of other stones, okay? Some say it might have been all together, but it's all beat up now, but they got them all kind of cemented in there together. But that's the thing that's in the side of the deal. Now, again, this stone, it's not exclusive to Islam, uh, and neither is this shrine, okay? Uh, it was in reverence, this black stone was in reverence well before the preaching of Islam, okay, with Muhammad there. And uh, it was already associated with the cube, the Kaaba, as a pre-Islamic shrine. So basically, he took it over, okay? And it was a site uh, for pilgrimage for the Nabataeans who visited there once a year to perform their pil pilgrimage. And again, it's from them that we get the account that inside the Kaaba, the cube, was 360 idols. Again, possibly one for every single year. You think a year is 365. No, they go by the lunar calendar. The lunar calendar is 30 days a month times 12, 360. So one a year, okay? Now, <clears throat> this is why the Bible also reports, right? that uh, you shall not bow down and you shall not kiss idols and you shall, right? And the Bible's very specific uh, about that, very different. Now, some would say, let me show you the picture again. Some would say <clears throat> the, the, Ameri the, the similarity of the black stone and the way that it's mounted, okay? And this is gonna sound kind of freaky, but hang with me. Uh, in its frame, that it is similar to the external female genitalia, Okay. And the reason why is because there was something that was very popular with the polytheistic religions in that area, and that was called the fertility rites, the female fertility rites that were going on in that area. So they're saying, well, gee, that certainly kind of looks like that, and most people don't realize that. But if you do the history, it's very interesting. Now, the fertility rites, okay, which sounds crazy to you and I, but this is, was a big deal back in the day, and are basically <clears throat> what they would do is they believe that when they reenact the fertility act, whether symbolically or actually physically, and that's why you read with some of the, even the Old Testament obviously prohibits this, but talks about Israel, stay away from these people. This is what they do. They worship the Asherah, right? They worship Baal and some of the phallic worship and then the fertility rites. Because what they believed is when they would reenact this, in fact, some of the altars in the community uh, there in, in, in uh, uh, surrounding Israel that God said stay away from, they literally would build altars and basically be like a pornographic show. Right? They would literally, the people would come and worship, watching people reenact fertility. And, and it wasn't just for like, wow, right? Let's all join this one. This is exciting, right? Okay, it was not only sinful and just like pornographic, but this is what they really believed by, by reenacting this, that it was going to force the deities to make sure that the crops were fertile, that their lives were fertile. Crazy as it sounds, that was, that was the what they believed at that time. So they would reenact that, okay? And that the forces of nature would be influenced by this behavior. Now, uh, Greek uh, had one of these deities, it's called Demeter, okay? Uh, was a big one, uh, the goddess of fertility. Phoenicia also was into this, and these are in the area, okay? Uh, ancient Phoenicia, this was interesting, saw a special sacrifice at the season of the harvest. Now again, that's what they believed. If we're gonna have harvest time, a fertile harvest, a good harvest, a good income, if you will, whatever, things are gonna work out great, right? Then we have to reenact this fertility thing so that we can be fruitful and bountiful too. But Phoenicia, uh, in, here's what they did, to reawaken the spirit of the vine, to make sure that the you know, crops grew good, the grapes, uh, and uh, what they would do is they'd have uh, to reawaken and the spirit of the withering vine included, here's what they did, that they sacrificed, quote, cooking a kid, a baby goat, 
in the milk of its mother. Does that sound familiar? You Old Testament scholars. That's one of those weird things that we kind of skip over. We're like, okay, God, I won't do that. <laughs> right? And God forbids that. He says, and by the way, don't. He starts going through this list of stuff. Don't cook a kid in its mother's milk. And we're going, I wouldn't do that anyway. I don't like cooking nothing in milk. And that's kind of gross, a little baby in its mom's milk. That's not what it was. Right? It wasn't just, you know, God had a cooking rule and don't you dare go around it. Right? And don't you use vanilla substance. No. Right? No, it was because of this practice. Now, the people of the day, when he's given these commands, they knew, because that's what the world was doing. You and I need to do our homework. But all this has to do with fertility rights. Okay? And obviously, now, in Arabia, where this was going on, according to Ibn Ishaq, uh, an early biographer of Muhammad, the Kaaba, the cube, was itself previously addressed as a female deity. Okay? And uh, the circambulation, which is going around it, why do they go around it today? Listen, was often performed with the fertility rites, okay, performed, by, uh, performed naked by male and sometimes female pilgrims and worship associated with the fertility goddess, okay? And again, that's why some would say, once again, that the very possibly is that why this still to this day resembles uh, the female genitalia. Sounds kind of weird, but folks, you do the history and it's not that weird. The cultures were doing that. Okay, back in the day. You look at some of the idolatry and the idols uh, that they dig up in the dirt with people, and it's kind of pornographic, right? But part of it was that was their belief system that if we can reenact these things, then we're going to have a bountiful uh, harvest, okay? So let's continue on. Now, uh, at 40, Muhammad entered a cave for meditation. A cave for meditation. It's here that according to the Quran, Muhammad received re revelations from, he read the Bible and stuck nothing with the Bible, so he couldn't get steered astray. Oh, I'm sorry, that wasn't there, Reed. What's going on? Uh, my eyes were blurry. Uh, somebody's very chicken juice on me or something. No, uh, he received revelations from the angel Gabriel. Yeah, uh-huh. Now, they believe that the angel Gabriel is a Holy Spirit, and we'll get to that maybe in a little bit. But wait a second. Here's where you always go wrong. This is why I've stated so many times before uh, as Christians, okay, when you hear somebody say, God told me or God gave me a word or I got a new revelation, Run. Right? Because this is where the false teachings, even this religion, always starts. Somebody gets off the Bible. Well, God, no, it had to have been an angel from God because I had what? No. Right? Now, let me give you an example. I'm going to get a little teaser, Lord willing, when we get to Mormonism. And where in the world did Joseph Smith get his? Because he's got a new teaching. He's got a new revelation, right? He, he was contacted by an angel, right? Just like Muhammad. Once again, you should have stuck with the Bible. Okay, now, the name of his angel wasn't Gabriel. The name of his supposed angel, by the way, was... Oh, that's right, i got to add the I. <laughs> Moroni. Okay, and uh, listen to how he came up with his version of the truth, okay? And all this, again, is once again, you get away from God's truth and you run into uh, trouble. Okay, let's take a look at that. Uh, real quick, so uh, Joseph Smith, of course, he claimed that he was contacted by this angel named Moroni and visited him in 1823. Uh, this messenger is reported to have told him about some gold plates, gold plates that contained a record of former inhabitants of the, the continent. And, uh, and then the plates were said to have contained, that's right, something better than the Bible, it's always better, right? The fullness of everlasting gospel. And he needed to translate these plates and to help him out, uh, was given a stone. Because we all know if you want to understand something, just pull out a rock. <laughs> hey, forget your cell phone. You just get out here on the way out and you pick up a rock. And you stick it up to your ear and John will lay hands on you. Okay, no. <laughs> no what? Oh, you got to be kidding me. Now, the question is, is it true? Is this really? He got his whole thing from a rock? Looking at, well, it gets a little bit weirder than that. The method that he used to translate these supposed gold plates uh, by the way, where are they, uh, has been a source of means that's very interesting. Now, while paintings uh, and pictures used in Mormon visitor centers and books depict a prayerful smith leaning over these gold plates, contemplating, right? That's not at all what went on, okay? Uh, he used a hat and a seer stone as a means to bring out this divine record, okay? Now, a guy named Martin Harris, he was one of the three witnesses uh, whose name is found in every edition of the Book of Mormon since its original edition. 
Uh, and uh, he said that Smith used a seer stone that was a chocolate-covered, somewhat egg-shaped stone in which the prophet found while he was digging in a well with his brother Hiram. Uh, he goes on to state that it was by using this stone that he was able to translate the characters engraven on these supposed plates. He also says this, By aid of the seer stone, sentences would appear and were read by the prophet, Joseph Smith, supposed prophet, and written by Martin. And when finished, he would say written, and if it was correctly written, then the sentence would disappear and another one would appear. Now, uh, Smith would put the seer stone, he didn't just look at the stone, he, he put the seer stone in a hat, and then he would put his face in the hat. And then he would put his face in the hat so close that it would exclude the light. And so you could see nothing but just darkness inside this hat with a rock until he could see the light. And that's when his cousin Earl hit him on the back of the head, and he saw all kinds of light. No. I would thought, what? So you base your whole revelation on sticking a rock in a hat? What? Anyway, but let's continue on. All right. And then uh, a piece of something, once he stared in that hat with the rock long enough, apparently, uh, a piece of something resembling parchment would appear, and uh, under it would be the interpretation in English, and then, of course, this other guy's supposed to write it down. Now, the problem is, when you look at the LDS Church's publications today, for some reason, they, they leave out any mention of the hat and the seer stone. Again, when you look at the artwork, it's, it's him contemplating these gold plates. And it's not what he was doing. Okay, now, interesting enough, uh, what's also going on is you're going, well, why would they leave these out? Well, if you study in the 1800s during this time, there was something very popular going on. Okay, the use of these types of seer stones, they had another term in the day, they were called peep stones peep stones, and they were so-called because it was quite common among believers in folk magic. He was involved in the occult. Folk magic, okay, uh, and that there's plenty of evidence to show that uh, uh, Smith uh, was not only using occult methods, but so were his immediate family members. So he came from a history of this. Now, according to a court record dated March 20th, 1826, Smith, this was in a, a court record, he was described as a glass looker, one of these peep stone people, Glass looker, a common scam in which the glass looker claimed to have the ability to find buried treasure for a fee, of course. Okay? And of course, uh, Mormons today would you know, say that, well, he wasn't a money digger guy ripping. He even actually, this says, uh, he even admitted to being a money digger in an interview in what's called the Elder's Journal back in the day. Now, it seems apparent that the Book of Mormon was, in fact, brought about using an occult method. And, uh, and, and so many witnesses testify to Smith's use of a hat and a magical rock, and if so many, it's in the records, then why doesn't the Mormons, uh, their books and their periodicals, for the sake of accuracy, why don't they show this fact? Why does it show Smith translating from the plates as if, if he was just deep in thought, no hat, no stone, none of that nature? And one of their apostles, this apostle Maxwell, when confronted with this, he says, listen, that's not the point. I quote, our primary focus in studying the Book of Mormon should be on the principles, not on the process by which the book came forth. Uh, yeah, that has everything to do with it. Excuse me, so like, yeah, forget that. Let's just deal with what he saw in a hat and a rock. Whoa. Now, the reason why I bring that up is because that's basically what happened. Muhammad, we're going to see in a second, goes into a cave and said, this is an angel. Of course, he didn't call it moron, I, okay? He called it Gabriel, okay? But whatever, it's still the same thing. You get outside the Bible, and then all, next thing you know, you got another world religion. You got another cult. You got another pseudo-Christian cult and things of that nature, and that's what's going on today. Oh, by the way, back with that, you understand a little bit more emphasis back on uh, this guy here, the black stone. Okay, believe it or not, uh, this is part of what they believe. Uh, Muslims believe that the stone was originally pure and dazzling white. As you see in the middle, it's black now, right? Uh, but it's since turned black because of the sins of the people who touch it. And according to tradition, touching this is an expiation for your sins. Right? But again, if you can't get close, all you've got to do is just point to it with your right hand as you go around it. Excuse me? So that thing's going to forgive your sins? Okay, also they believe that the stone will appear on the day of judgment with eyes to see and a tongue to speak and give evidence in favor of all who kissed it in true devotion. But speak out against those who ever indulge, listen, in gossip or profane conversations during their circling trips around the Kaaba. Just keep your mouth shut. Can you? Wow. 
So again, it's very important to them. It sounds weird to us, but that's part that's built into uh, their religion. Now let's continue on. So he gets this revelation supposedly from the angel Gabriel, which didn't happen. It was a demonic influence, obviously. Muhammad could not read or write, so he was instructed to memorize. Turn to somebody, give him a high five, and say, we got a second blank. Uh, memorize is your blank there. Listen to this. He was given the words, but he had to memorize them uh, from Gabriel. This complete recitation, which means Quran, which Muhammad received over a how long? 23 years? How many guys can remember what you memorized 23 minutes ago? <laughs> 23 years. Okay, in the 632, the year of his death. Okay, and again, the Quran means recitations. Okay, but what they don't typically say is that, you know, when he first got these, he had like a little check going on. It's like, I don't know that this is a good thing to do. Listen to this. Around the age of 35, Muhammad assumed the habit of going outside of Mecca to Mount Hira for meditation and contemplation. Uh, there was a cave where he often went for solitude. It was during one of these times of meditation that Muhammad said that an angelic being appeared to him, and this disturbed him. Disturbed Muhammad. And he told his wife, uh, Khadijah, that he thought he had been visited by an evil jinn. So his first response was, man, this ain't right. Right. Now, a short time later, uh, in the year 610, while in the cave again, he said, now this time, though, the angel Gabriel appeared to him and commanded him to recite. Right. Still seemed to be a little bit hesitant, but uh, uh, then his family basically uh, came up to him, his wife and his cousin said, oh, no, 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 go ahead and go with this, go with this. All I wouldn't lie to you. Right. So it's just kind of an interesting thing that uh, initially he was like, ah, right and then eventually goes along uh, with it, okay? It became Muhammad's mission then to obviously proclaim Islam, allegedly given him by Allah through Gabriel. Muhammad called people to repent from their idol worship. Is there some irony there? What's this cube? What was it even before he comes along? What's inside the cube? And what do you do when you march around? Okay, anyway, it's kind of interesting. All right, so you got that going on. And uh, idol worship to do good and to serve the one true God they believe is Allah. He taught that man is God's slave, again, submission. Uh, and it is his duty to submit to God and obey him. He said that the day of judgment was coming and that a man's works, is your next blank there, works. This is not a grace salvation. This is a false salvation, a false gospel. Okay, it is a works-based system. And even then, you really still don't even know. Again, we'll get into that, Lord, one later. Those who do good deeds outweigh their bad. Maybe, maybe, I don't know, maybe. It just depends on the way the wind's blowing and how apparently all it feels. I don't know. Uh, you might be saved in a paradise which is full of sensual pleasures. And we'll get into that in greater detail. That, of course, the men, they get to satisfy themselves endlessly with virgins, etc. blah, blah, blah. As crazy as it is, once again, it's not my words. This is what they believe. And, of course, the unsaved go to hell. And the first three years uh, of proclaiming Islam, he had 40 converts. Right? Man, he's cooking now, with all due respect. Well, what you're going to see, if we can get that far, the reason why it began to take off more was because of force. Military force. Battles after battle after battle. Okay, You basically become a uh, Muslim or you're going to die. And it's a good thing they stopped that. No, they're still doing it today. Okay, we'll get to that hopefully later. But let me just give a quick breakdown. We'll get into this later. Again, what's ironic about this is we're just going through the history and you're starting to see all kinds of things that that ain't Christianity, that ain't Christianity, that ain't Christianity. And then how could people like Rick Warren, this is Chris Lam, and we can all, we all worship the same God. And wait till we get to that. I got the actual PowerPoint uh, picture of in his Saddleback Church what he was saying about we just got 1,400 years of misunderstanding. We worship the same God. What? But a lot of people, it tickles the ears. Sounds great. Oh, that's the answer. It's not Jesus. It's all of us emerging into one. That's the one world religion, the Bible prophesied, part of the Antichrist kingdom, the false prophet. But anyway, so, but you're sitting there going, this is crazy. But let me just give you a teaser, just how radically different. This is just some of the history things we brought out. Um, they, uh, as far as the atonement, the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, uh-uh, no good. There is no atonement uh, uh, work in Islam other than you have to basically try to be sincere and confess your sins and repent and follow all and do what he says, and even then you don't even know. Uh, the Bible, they don't believe in our Bible. They believe that our Bible is corrupted. It's only true where it agrees with the Quran. Uh, they will believe in like with the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, or at least say that they do, uh, and, and the, the teachings of Jesus, right? Because the, they say the second prophet, and Muslims Muslim would be better, instead of the nature. But by and large, uh, it, Quran comes first. Uh, the crucifixion, they say that Jesus did not die on the cross, 
Instead, listen, God allowed Judas to look like Jesus, and he was crucified instead. What? Uh, the devil, uh, they don't believe that he's an angel. Uh, again, they think that he was just a, a, a fallen jinn, okay, who were supposed to be these beings created from fire. Uh, the name they have for at least that character was Iblis, okay, and uh, so that's even different. Again, we already talked about their version of heaven. The Holy Spirit, again, uh, is basically, their version is Archangel Gabriel, who supposedly gave them the words of the Quran to Muhammad. Uh, Jesus, they do not believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and they certainly don't think he is divine. And again, they don't believe that he was crucified. The Bible says that we were created in the image of God. Uh, they say, no, we were not made in the image of God. Original sin, the Bible talks about how we were born in sin, right? Uh, and that explains why you can have an eight-month-old baby, and when somebody takes their toy, another kid, <coughs> right? Or they sit on their face, right? It's like... Now, that's not our nursery. That was a church I visited a long time ago. <laughs> Way down south. <laughs> I was like, I didn't teach you how to do that. Why, why, where'd this ins- why, why, where'd, I didn't tell you to say, no. Sell- You're born in sin. But they don't believe that. They believe there is no original sin and that all people they believe are sinless until they rebel against God. Right? That you learn to become that way. That's not what the Bible says. Okay, salvation, of course, a free gift from God. Jesus did it all. That's not what they teach. Forgiveness of sins is obtained by Allah uh, without a mediator. The Muslim must believe Allah exists, believe in the fundamental doctrines of Islam, believe that Muslim uh, Muhammad is a prophet, and follow the commands of Allah given in the Quran, and even then you still don't know if you're going to get there. We, of course, worship on Sunday in honor of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They worship on Friday in honor of Muhammad's first sermon was on a Friday, I believe. Of course, we, the Bible talks about all kinds of miracles that, that, that uh, God did, and they don't believe in any miracles except for the miracle of the uh, Quran. The Bible says, love your enemies. Uh, they teach that you need to kill those against Islam. The Bible says, bless the persecutors. They teach that you need to slay the non-Muslims. The Bible says, love your neighbors. They believe you need to behead them. Uh, they, Jesus did not return evil for evil, but Allah urges war. And I like this comment. One guy says, so I ask any Muslim who might be reading this, which way would you prefer to be treated? Would you want the Christian to love you and bless you even though uh, he's not a believer as the New Testament says, the other person? Or would you rather be treated as the Quran says to treat unbelievers? Right? Think about that. Okay. With them. But again, uh, that's what's crazy about this whole Chrislam moves, uh, movement uh, that is actually gaining ground. And again, maybe sometime we'll get into, unfortunately, why it's gaining ground is because of uh, Rick Warren and others. Muhammad, let's go to the next page. They're preaching. How much time we got there? Robert? Time. Yeah. Muhammad's preaching uh, brought uh, much opposition. <laughs> in Mecca. In 622, the Mecca leaders denounced him and he fled to Mecca and moved to Medina, where he established the first Islamic community. Okay, this event is known as the Hijra, I mean the flight. He f- flees there. Okay, the Muslim calendar begins on July 16, 16 uh, 622, the first day of the lunar year in which Muhammad's migration flight took place. Uh, in Medina, Muslim preached about. Uh, Allah and monotheism and urged all people to return to the true faith of Abraham. Muslims view Muhammad as the restorer of the original, uncorrupted, monotheistic faith of Adam, Abraham, Moses, Jesus, and the other prophets. Again, what was the major thing in the area at the time? Pauli, many theistic, right? And then he comes along and says, nope, it's one, and it's just this one named Allah, okay? Was kind of the counter thing. And obviously it wasn't that popular uh, with the people in that day. So again, he first gets started. He only has a few converts, which basically was like his wife, his adopted son, uh, and another guy, okay? And though he continued his preaching, he brought only a few uh, converts, but it did bring on some opposition. Uh, the ruling tribe in the area, the Quraysh, uh, tried to get him to stop. They began to persecute the Muslims and boycotting their businesses and beating them, apparently. And uh, Muhammad, it says, remained steadfast, though. But because of the persecution, they moved to Abyssinia, which is Ethiopia today. Uh, and 622, again, that's a significant date for them. It's known as the year of the migration, the Hijra we just talked about, from Mecca to Yathrib, which is now Medina, okay, where they established their first real Islamic community. Uh, and that's why uh, their calendar starts July 16, 622, the first year that this uh, took place. Now, in Medina, this is interesting, Uh, Muhammad would pray facing Jerusalem. Did you know that? He started out praying to Jerusalem, as did the Jews who were very populous in that city. Okay, his first sermon in Medina was on a Friday. 
That's why their worship is on a Friday. Uh, and, uh, but gradually, however, the Jews began to disapprove of him and his movement, and so he confronted the Jews and told them that they had misread the scriptures. And so finally, one day, uh, the Jews, of course, got enraged, right? So one day, uh, while praying, he suddenly changed direction, and he faced Mecca. And this is why, to this day, that the Muslims, when they pray, they're supposed to uh, face Mecca when praying. But notice how the relationship went with the Jews. Not good. How is it today? Not good. And we're lumped in there. See, this is what many Christians don't get. We're also the people of the book, just like the Jews. So when they want out there, when they're on their news, and we might see some actual clips, it's, they won't broadcast over here in the West. We're being lied to. But when they're out there saying, we must annihilate all the Jews, annihilate them, kill them, kill them. And they're training kids from Wehi, even with their cartoons, training the kids to hate the Jews, hate the Jews, kill them all, kill them all, kill them all. We're also in that lump the people of the book. Most people don't get that because we are being lied to. All right, now after two years, so that's his kind of flight he takes off there. After two years in Medina, the Muslims were very poor and persecuted, which prompted, listen, a revelation to come to Muhammad, permitting him, permitting him to raid the passing caravans. Well, that was convenient, right? Uh, and soon afterwards, there was a significant battle, your next blank there, at which Muhammad, with 350 men, defeated an army of 1,000. This victory gave confidence to the Muslims and encouraged even more converts, okay? But let's get back to that. Uh, after two years in Medina, they were not faring very well financially, right? And, uh, and combined with persecution, it prompted a revelation uh, to come to Muhammad, preventing him to raid the passing caravans. And uh, this he did, quote, and the Muslim financial problems were solved. So was it based on good, hard work, earnest work? and No, thievery and murder. Good thing that doesn't go on today. You understand the root. It's the same thing. Do they take over places and just rob them? It's the same mentality. It hasn't changed. And a lot of people think, that, oh, no, they're coming here in America. They're not going to do that. Folks, we're kidding ourselves, and we are being lied to. And we'll get to that, Lord willing, in, in a few weeks, okay? But notice how he got a, a, a very convenient new revelation, Right? It's not like, I went to the Bible, and here's what God told me to do. Once again, once you go down that route, uh, 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 an angel told me. Uh, did you know, again, not just to pick on the Mormons, but they unfortunately do the same thing. Uh, they, they do the same thing. And actually, as Christians, Lord willing, we'll get to that, start at 5,322 when we get to that chapter. <laughs> if the rapture doesn't happen first. Uh, or we die, praise God, and go to heaven. But, uh, uh, but uh, actually, what's uh, interesting is they do the same thing. We, we Christians, because we point out their errors, we point out their errors so consistently, they have new versions of the Book of Mormon. And we've actually helped them clean it up. Okay, certainly. But also, they get caught in some quandaries. And one of the easy examples, and Lord will probably actually, I'm probably, there's gonna, I'm probably in a break our study, and we'll see full-blown documentaries, right? And, and one of them I want to show you is from their own camp, they admit that uh, they had a problem on their hands because Mormons, uh, one of their teachings okay, is that uh, the reason why we have black Africans is because they were cursed. It was a cursed race. Uh, Seventh-day Adventists teach the same thing on, on a different level, very racist, okay, which, uh, by the way, Ben Carson is, okay, uh, and they teach that the process of the, the reason why we have black African peoples is through a process called amalgamation, and that was bestiality, humans and animals, mixing together so it's yeah they don't come telling you that when they come knocking to the door but anyway so uh guess what uh, but all of a sudden you know black africans were being accepted more in the united states in the 60s and 70s and and stuff and and uh sure could help their byu team out a little bit there and not making it up all of a sudden guess what just like this hey i got a new revelation the apostles have determined it's okay for them to play sports Jehovah's Witnesses do the same thing, but that's how convenient it gets. When you get caught in something wrong or you need something like, hey, we're getting low on cash. <gasps> Let's go raid. We have the blessings of God. It's, it's the same problem. Now, again, it is done, they get their converts by war, right? It is not because it's some peaceful, incredible, we're being lied to. Okay, big time. Listen to this. Islam's inception was associated with war and still is to this day. Listen, from 623 to 777, a span of 154 years, there were 83 military conflicts involving Muslims, approximately one battle every two years on average, just one after another after another. And I like what this guy says. He says, question, is Islam a religion of peace? The facts speak otherwise. He says, think about it. Was Islam just defending itself all across Europe 
uh, as it spread when it invaded there? Was Spain attacking the Muslims when it was thousands of miles away? Okay. Uh, were the other countries all conspiring against Islam or so it defended itself, you know, and, and then just happened to spread? Or if you know Western civilization and culture over there, okay, uh, it was spread by the sword, okay, not with love and truth. Okay, and I don't have time to go into this because we're getting ready to close, but I have page after page after page after page of just battles that they have year after year after year after year, okay? This is why it began to grow and spread, not because it's like, wow, this is so incredible, wonderful, loving, right? You accept it or you die. Same thing's going on today. And, and we'll get to that, unfortunately. Now, let's, let's close it out for tonight. In 627, the ruling tribe, okay, the ruling tribe of Mecca tried to destroy uh, the Muslims but failed. Uh, Muhammad then sought to conquer Mecca, in 630, Muhammad conquered Mecca and destroyed all the idols. In 632, Muhammad delivered his last sermon, later falls ill and dies. His father-in-law becomes caliph, again, the term for the religious leader, okay, of Islam. And Islam spread rapidly during the first century after Muhammad's death. Why? It spread through military force, again, uh, by force. Across the Middle East and most of North Africa to Spain, and as far east to India. The Muslim advance into Europe was stopped by Charles the Hammer. Now that was a manly name long before Arnold Schwarzenegger came on the scene, right? Now his brother was Earl the Chopper. To the Chopper, right? No, no, I'm not, I don't know. I don't think so. Don't quote me on that. Yeah, just kidding. But Charles the Hammer, isn't that a man? Named the Hammer, right? Uh, Martel at the Battle of Tours in France in October 732. Charles Martel was the grandfather of Charlemagne who was crowned the Holy Roman Emperor 800, okay? Now, again, believe it or not, folks, that's what they're doing today. They've still got the same mentality that basically, on the one hand, the media is helping us, even here in America, that we're over here, it's all going to be great. And I'm not saying they all are, but by and large, their core teaching and the core of their followers, okay, that follow the, what the Quran teaches, they are over here to subvert and take over the United States, they actually say it if they will ever put it on the news, but for some reason, they won't put it on the news. They admit that they are here to take over not just the West, the United States. They are here to take over the world, that the whole, and they will not stop until the whole world submits. That's what the word means, to Allah. Okay? So let's close out on uh, this video. Let's take a look. Wherever you look, both in Western Europe and in North America, the members of the elite class have this tendency to proclaim Islam, some mysterious, authentic Islam, to be peaceful and to be tolerant. And those Muslims prone to violence are proclaimed to be non-representative fringe. I want you to understand, I want the world to understand that our actions today were not aimed against Islam. The faith of hundreds of millions of good, peace-loving people all around the world including the United States. The idea that Islam is a spiritual religion like, uh, for instance, Christianity, is completely incorrect. This is a war against people who, in many ways, pervert what Islam stands for. Islam stands for uh, peace and stands for nonviolence. Islam is the only religion in the world that has a developed doctrine, theology, and law that mandates violence against unbelievers. The prophet cut off the hands and feet of the men belonging to the tribe of Arina and did not cauterize their bleeding limbs till they died. I've come to realize that Islam is a good religion. It's a good way of life. Islam understands its earthly mission to be to extend the law of Allah over the world by force. Whole cities were given up to massacres. Uh, population, entire populations were um, deported in slavery or massacred. Even very diverse Muslim societies, which cannot be easily branded under one civilizational label, have something in common, and it is the tendency to be in conflict with their neighbors. The question now that we have to ask ourselves is, do we want to preserve our Judeo-Christian values and our own civilization? It's about time for the whole West to realize Islam is the truth, 
as a matter of time, Islam got to be implemented. And the giant of Islam, and the giant of the Islamic State is going to rise up again. And it's going to be a fact. I'm again saying this in the full knowledge that it will offend some Western ears, but the peculiarity of Islam has to be faced, and it has to be faced frankly and openly. And that's why we're just beginning this study, because we're being lied to and just gave you a little teaser of them. They admitted we're over here to take over the West. We're over here to take over your country and the whole world and force everyone to submit to Allah. This is really what's going on uh, in our country today. And boy, do we need another hama. We need another hammer. Okay. Uh, because, folks, it's happening again. Okay, but this is what it's built on. Now, Lord willing, next time we're going to get into uh, another reason why that they have grown so fast and why they're growing so fast today around the world. Okay, and uh, that's because the population statistics that's going on and their birth rates by sheer number. Okay, uh, they are going to take over this planet unless something turns around. Uh, with that, and we'll take a look at some of that as well. Then we'll get into Lord willing some of the different factions. Uh, with the Sunnis and the Shiites, you probably heard about that. What's all that all about as we continue on? And then, Lord willing, after we get well-equipped, just so you know, Lord willing, where I'm going, after we get well-equipped with understanding the verbiage, the theology, the teaching, the mentality of Islam, then we're going to start looking at some of our political folks, some of their words and some of their actions. In light of some of the actions of Islam and Muslims, and uh, you tell me if you don't have a problem with it. How's that, Bob? You like that one? Look at little Andy. The wind picked up. It was creepy. All right, let's go. Let's pray. Well, hi. This is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries. And I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven. And that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness or the wrong things that we have done have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin or unholiness uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma, even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy. We're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay, how many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay, well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief. Okay, the Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ has now become a cuss word. Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy. Okay, and folks, let's be honest. We've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. 
And the Bible says God sees that and it's just as bad. He knows the mind, he knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God. And you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it, if he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.